Hello and welcome to the Medical Consulting Group podcast, where we discuss the latest, most impactful issues circulating the medical industry. I'm your host, Fielding Emmett. I work on the creative team here at Medical Consulting Group, and today's topic is Revenue Cycle Management Strategies for the Future. Joining me for today's discussion are MCG's Revenue Cycle Management Director, Christy Dockham, and Managing Principals, Bill Rayburn, Rob McCarville, and Aaron Malloy. Thank you all for joining today. I'll ask questions and anyone is free to respond. First question, what is RCM? What does it include and why is it so important for ASCs? Revenue cycle management really helps in the process of billing the patient from the time that the service is done all the way to the time the claim is paid and the patient has paid. So it it encompasses everything from helping to credential the insurances uh, for the facility, as well as coding, um, cash posting, claims processing, denials, denial management, uh, sending out statements, patient collections, and ultimately, um, if needed, sending those out to a collection agency. What is the No Surprises Act and how does it impact surgery centers? I think the biggest way that it impacts surgery centers is by allowing that patient to know upfront if there's a service that is going to be performed or a physician that's going to be included in their surgery that is not an in-network provider for them. So for instance, this may be an anesthesiologist or something that they're very aware of the the provider or the surgeon that is doing the surgery, um, but they may not necessarily have a choice of who those ancillary providers are. So this just gives the the patient the ability to know that going into it and not be surprised um, by what the bill would be coming out of it. Christy, I think, yeah, that's a great point. Just to add on that, over the years, I think we've seen, especially in our anesthesia provider area in the surgery center, that uh, Patients have become frustrated when an anesthesia provider has been used that is not in network and and then they become frustrated with the surgery center um, because they weren't aware. Sometimes the surgery center is not aware of of that anesthesia provider being in network or out of network with that insurance company. And so I think this, from our understanding, is the No Surprises Act. Um, you know, just ensures that we're doing probably a better job of of communicating communicating with the patient, Mm -hmm. coordinating with our providers, all the providers that utilize the surgery center, including Mm -hmm. anesthesia, potentially even including pathology or outside lab services that may or may not be contracted with the center that we, we ensure that we find that information out so we can inform the patient of that up front prior to surgery. Yeah, it gives a better accountability both that's exactly what I was yeah, going to say. Yeah. Both to the um, facility and, and for the patient. So when talking about ASC billing specifically, generally the patient is going to have three bills um, on, a, on a normal basis. One from the surgeon itself themselves and, and their professional services. Uh, the second being from the facility or the ASC, and a third for the anesthesia services if that is needed during the procedure. So really concentrating on those three providers and knowing their status and making sure that the patient is aware if any of those three are out of network. But as Rob mentioned, pathology could come into play as well. 
You know, guys, well, one way that, that, we, that we try to ed educate the patient, make sure the patient's aware, kind of to, to Rob's point, is we'll try to publish this information on a website, mm -hmm. for example, the website of, of, the, of the surgery center, so that, again, it's all fully disclosed and, and the patient has, has access and information that he or she can then, you know, make sure that the billing that they're receiving you know, is correct. I think for the most part, the surgery centers that we work with and that we manage and do the RCM for, they they make it a point to attempt at least to get in network with the payers that their surgeons are in network with so that there aren't any gaps. Um, but extending that communication, I think, to the anesthesia providers is now more important with the No Surprises Act. And, and like Christy said, we'll cause the providers, the surgeons, and the facilities to be a little bit more proactive and um, be held more accountable to ensure that they're using in-network providers wherever possible. Yeah, and, and I do think that potentially doesn't necessarily mean they would have to be in-network, the anesthesia provider, but right. again, just doing a better job of communicating that, right. that, that that anesthesia provider is out of network and, and the patient's fully aware of that and right. understands that and what that might mean. And they have a choice to a choice. wait. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think anyone who's been through the health system knows how complicated it can be. So it sounds like this is legislation designed to advocate for the patient and kind of protect them from surprise billing. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so we are now two years past the COVID pandemic or into the COVID pandemic. And I wanted to ask you guys, um, how has COVID and remote work how has it shifted some of the RCM practices and landscape, and what are you seeing out there? So we are seeing a lot of things slowed down by COVID um, and the transition of either uh, shorthanded staff or maybe even remote staff that are finally now we're seeing them, seeing them uh, get up to speed and maybe you know catch their breath and start going in the right direction. Uh, but we still have a lot of payers that have really slowed down in their response times. Uh, the response times in claims processing, response times in answering the phones, even if there is anyone at all available to answer the phones. Um, the other thing we recently ran into is credentialing, um, trying to get some contracts uh, set up for some facilities that they're just putting a hold on. I mean, there's a couple of insurance companies that are putting a hold on credentialing or saying, hey, we're back into August um, working those requests. So it really does impact our ASCs, because, especially our new ones, because they're trying to see patients and they're having to hold a lot longer than they should have to to be able to see a certain population. Yeah, I think, Christy, that's, those are great points, and, and COVID has created this fragmentation of the service, and from the payer side, I know we'll get into the employee side of it, of, of our employees here, I'm sure, shortly, but from dealing with the payers and, and the, the payment process, it's, it's certainly much more fragmented because a lot of them are working from home and, and disconnected from a, a more consistent process potentially in the office and, and who to follow up with. And, and it seems like it's easier for them to, to say, sorry, we can't help you because, you know, we're not in the office or, you know, we're right now we're reorganizing and all sorts of different uh, situations to, 
to slow down that payment process. Mm -hmm. So I th again, we're finding we got to just be even more diligent in in the follow up in in contacts with with the payers and um, and again, which is a challenge because most RCM staffing is is also in the same situation with mm -hmm. with uh, folks working from home or the the uh, the salary. Uh, challenges and, and competitive pricing and, and people um, moving jobs, those types of things. So it's mm -hmm. a challenge all the way around. And and so, uh, but again, diligence is the key. And, and really, I think any, by putting your head down and, and continuing to follow up with those those payers and those, those contacts at the uh, insurance companies is, is critical. You know, you made a good point about our workforce and uh, really any of the revenue cycle. There are so much of the revenue cycle management that is being shifted to a work from home solution that it is broadening the um, ability of our potential employees to not only limit it to our regional search, but a more of a um, national search so that they're able to get a job and, and work from home and someone in New York or California, whereas before it was much more limited to Springfield, Missouri or wherever the you were at. To go along those lines, I'm gonna ask you, Bill, um, talk about difficulty around hiring employees and is it difficult right now to find employees for revenue cycle management? Has COVID impacted workers and the ability to hire? Yeah, I think it, I think it has, and and that's a, a a good topic. You know, if you look at the labor force and and look at the defined labor force of being 16 to 65, and you look at that over a trend line of you know the last 30 or 40 years, we've seen that continue to go up, and I think a lot of that is because the population set, specifically uh, the baby boomer set of 72 to 73 million people, really helped. To, to, to fund that, that workforce. Well, now as that generation has gotten older and uh, the generation behind is coming in with fewer people in that, uh, that set of workers, it's caused the workforce to slip. And if you look at kind of a, you know, a trend line, you'll see that only 0.2% you know, of the workforce um, we'll, 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 there'll, there'll only be a growth of 0.2% in the workforce over the next few years. That coupled with, there was almost, um, I think we had 47.3 million people quit their jobs in, in 2021. And uh, there was 11 point some million um, job openings but only 6.3 million to people available to, to fill those jobs. So it left, left us a gap of four to five million jobs that we, we can't fill, okay? And so you look at that along with a shrinking workforce and it, it's, it's problematic. What about, how does automation and outsourcing play into, is that driving automation and outsourcing? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, one thing that we talk to our uh, surgery centers about, we also talk to our practices about all the time is, okay, the positions that you have that are really difficult to fill, okay, is there a way that we can automate those? And we're really exploring that. If you, if you think the analogy that I've continued to use is, okay, just this week, 
I, uh, I needed to travel. So I got on my phone, I made a reservation uh, for an airline, I uh, paid for it on my phone, I downloaded my, my uh, boarding passes, I walked straight through TSA, got on the plane, went where I was going. You know, the, it was kind of a seamless process for, from point A to point B. Well, I think what we have to continue to look at is can we do that in our surgery centers and can we do that in our practices and help alleviate some of the pain of trying to hire people that the, where jobs are, are hard or difficult uh, to fill. I know, Christy, you use um, some software in the surgery centers that uh, will help your revenue cycle group to, to be more efficient, more effective. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's getting more and more important for our revenue cycle team to make sure they're leveraging that type of automation. So we use Clarity, for example, to verify patients' eligibility. Uh, we also use Waystar, Trizetto, and Availity, just a few of them, um, to send out our claims and get that first clearinghouse of making sure that the rejection there's not a rejection before it actually makes it to the insurance um, which is really just helping us reduce the time that we spend either on the phone to the insurance company or the delay in the claims processing when it goes straight to the insurance company and then the time it takes to get back to let us know of the you know little error that is maybe in the address or something like that and then we also you know are really leveraging the text uh, function uh, everybody has a cell phone and uses a cell phone, so we're we're making sure that we can send those estimates on what the patient is going to owe prior to the surgery um, out in text message format, so that they can just to build to your point, they can just click on a link and it takes them to be able to pay that by credit card. So that's been very successful and helpful in our revenue cycle. Another another automated process that we recently instituted was use of Copi, which is another mechanism yes. for payment. Uh, for patient, a patient portal for payment of of the private pay portion of the, of the premium service, especially in a in a ophthalmic ASC and uh, consolidates so payments as well. Mm -hmm. Right, right, and so that is a nice uh, mechanism again related to the RCM function where patients can have one source for payment of the surgeon's fees, the facility fees, the anesthesia fees. Uh, potentially then the uh, any co-managed fees, um, all those through one site and in dollars then can get disseminated kind of seamlessly without uh, manually chasing the money around. Lastly, pa patient statement generation. Um, it's been around for a long time. Companies that are, are can work with your software and offload that function for you. And I think as we're, you know, more and more, we're, we're looking to use it so that we can cut down our resources needed here to, to stuff the envelopes and mail them to the patient and, and rather just pay a, a little bit of a premium to have that service done outside. Yeah. I, I think there's one other thing that we should kind of touch on and maybe we bring it back to, you know, somebody's listening to this podcast and they're getting some good information, but you know, kind of back to the whole, it's hard to hire people type thing. You know, a lot of these surgery centers are small, smaller surgery centers and may have one or, or two people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Steve Shepard taught me this a long time ago, but you know, when you, 
when you have one or two people in a position, okay, in a skilled position, like revenue cycle management, and you lose that person for one reason or the other, he or she moves or they retire or, or, or quit or whatever it's the case may be. diagnosed with cancer. Or yes, uh, has, a, has a, a bad diagnostic you know, problem or medical problem. Now you've lost f anywhere from 50 to 100% of your workforce in that department. So does that make sense then to consider you know, this whole conversation around automation and purchasing of a fraction of somebody and that might mean outsourcing. So I, I think I think surgery centers and, and, and practices, but our conversation today is focused around surgery centers, should really consider this whole conversation around automation and buying or purchasing a fragment or a fraction of somebody, which might mean outsourcing to, uh, to a company that has the skill set and the people so that they don't find themselves in a uh, a tough position should somebody get sick, quit, resign, move on, whatever the case may be. That's a good point. I mean, there are there are multiple types of positions in a in an ambulatory surgery center, and most of them can't cannot be outsourced. You cannot outsource your surgical technician or your circulator. Those people have to be present. And so, where you can outsource, then that gives the ASC more time to focus their efforts on f filling the positions for those those people that cannot be outsourced and they really have to have because healthcare is having staffing issues across the board it's not just with revenue cycle staff it's it's nurses it's circulators and and everybody involved in the process i, I think it allows them to focus on patient care mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. yeah and in an extremely competitive market right now which has been exacerbated by covid and 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 other factors of inflation etc that uh, it's extremely hard to to get qualified talented people and then potentially to, to even afford them or retain them and as bill mentioned um, you do lose that person and then do you have the the resource to train a new rcm person that, that comes in to your to your center or your office, and um, all those are, are very difficult processes and, and issues to work through. Of course, yes, we're biased because we do have an RCM group that, that supports a lot of centers around the country and in practices as well. But uh, most of us have come from a practice management back background or managed a specific surgery center, so. We, we do understand that, yes, there's a place, and, and if you, you have talented people that, that can handle that on site, that's terrific. But I think, again, based on the market pressures and, and changing dynamics, having an outside resource that can protect you from some of those things happening, because they inevitably do happen, is, is good for business. And and could be, you know, potentially even provide a better resource, a better product for your RCM function, whether that's through Medical Consulting Group or any other firm out there that can provide that service. So I think in addition to outsourcing, we're also challenging our revenue cycle teams to really look at the electronic health records that they're working in for each of our ASCs so that we can make sure that the automation 
from the EHR can be utilized to better help us in driving our work so that when we can really get down to the, the hard work that is not as easily automated, such as scrubbing the claims and really looking at those underpayments, denials, and rejections uh, to make sure that we're not leaving money on the table for our ASCs. Yeah, and, and great point, Christy, and, and that's kind of an example of pulling that automation on the clinical side which with the EHR and the ASC, which again, a lot of our, especially our new centers, our de novo centers are, are going with the EHR from the start, but again, I think we realize a lot of centers out there are still on paper, and you know there are some some resources and avenues for pretty cost-effective EHRs now in in the surgery center world that could again play a, a a key piece in making your RCM functions more efficient and and effective, and so um, that's a great another aspect of of automating the. The clinical side that can certainly help on the RCM side. A few months ago, we had uh, Brendan Gallagher uh, on a podcast talking about cybersecurity, and um, I know that when you talk about automation and outsourcing, another challenge with that is opening up vulnerabilities. And um, the more you cast your network, the potential dependency you, the more dependency you have on those outside of your physical system. Bill, talk a little bit about um, how there's vulnerabilities associated with these automating and outsourcing. I did a, a program just recently at the Hawaiian Eye, and there was an audience of 50 or 60 uh, practices from around the country, and I asked the question, um, how many of you guys have been impacted with a, a cyber threat to your practice or to your surgery center? And I, and I was very surprised, about a quarter of the room raised their hand and said, yeah, we've had a, a cyber attack at our surgery center or, and or our, our practice. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I worry a little bit about for our clients if they have people that are working remote, uh, you know, because they don't necessarily have the security that they need. It's a very small little business. And, you know, I think, Aaron, our experience has been, you know, with two-factor authentication, that's really helped. Mm -hmm. It's helped us to get cybersecurity insurance, mm -hmm. but it really hasn't um, stopped some of these attacks. So I, I worry a little bit about the whole kind of working from home, you know, where, you know, remote revenue cycle management um, may not be the best thing ultimately for, for our surgery centers. They're dealing with a lot of protected health information. And so that the, the revenue cycle staff member is, is very vulnerable. And yes, your point is, is a good one in that um, sending them home to work remotely, you don't know what they've got set up from an IT perspective. And you don't know what kind of paper they're leaving out if they have neighbors and family over. And so it just, it is, it is less control that the ASC owner and um, employer has over their employees and what information is, is less secure than when it's in the building and when those folks are working inside the building and inside those firewalls. 
Yes, it is. Uh, it can be difficult, and especially if it's not done um, intentionally. And I, one thing I've been working with Brendan on, and um, he's amazing, and he is uh, really look, you know, has very close to some really great ideas about even making that more secure. So, um, you know, whether or not we eventually go to that, I think um, just having the ability you know, heaven forbid another pandemic happen uh, quickly like this last one did. Um, I think everyone will be more prepared the next time if we needed to, to shift. Absolutely. And with that, I'll conclude this episode of the Medical Consulting Group podcast. Thanks to Christy, Bill, Rob, and Aaron. We hope you learned something today. Thanks for listening.